How's it going, everybody? You are listening to the Eastminster Young Adults Podcast, a place where you can learn more about what it means to be a young adult Christian in times like these. You know, studies show that two of every three young adults have a challenging time finding Christian community. Eastminster Presbyterian Church seeks to create a community where you can be known, loved, and challenged without the fear of facing judgment. In doing so, we believe that the world will be a better place. So thanks for listening to the podcast. What up, young adult kinfolk? This is Pastor Joe, and we're in the kind of waning stages of season three, talking about end it, how to end things in our life in a, a kind of a necessary and a faithful way. And uh, at the beginning of each of the episodes, I share a life experience about ending something, sometimes serious, sometimes not so serious. And I just remember, so here's one. I became a Christian in high school. I attended church for a while. Uh, when I was younger, I kind of knew, you know, some basic ideas about God, but I didn't uh, become a Christian for myself until I was in high school. And I had a good group of Christian friends. And for whatever reason, there was like a, I don't know, like a rite of passage to go deeper in your faith with this group of people where you'd want to get rid of all of your secular CDs, you know, those the music that was not uniquely Christian because it had bad language and bad ideas and it would lead to bad thoughts and to bad actions, right? And so we wouldn't just throw these CDs away, but we would actually, okay, like, I don't know if you even buy CDs anymore, but you could try this if you want. Like, we would put them in the microwave and set it to like, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds and in like a laser light show, you know, begin to heat up and stuff. Uh, It was probably very dangerous, but it was very cool. Uh, We had a underdeveloped frontal lobe uh, at that time in life, and so we didn't think about future very much. And so we just were in the moment and in the moment we thought this is the best way uh, to be faithful to God and show our allegiance to Jesus, which is by getting rid of all of our secular music. And man, let me tell you what, like that might've been good for the moment, but it might've been a bit too much, maybe legalism going on. And I got rid of some really good CDs. One of those CDs was Weezer's Blue Album that I still stream today on Spotify. I mean, is there a better like pop album, alternative album than Weezer's Blue Album. I don't think so, man. Like, I I don't know. Convince me. I'll wait if you could tell me of a better album from top to bottom than Weezer's Blue Album. So anyways, send me an email. Share your thoughts. Thanks for hearing me out. All right, everybody, we are here talking about necessary endings, and we're using Dr. Henry Cloud's book called Necessary Endings to help us work through and to synthesize things that we need to get rid of, things that we need to say goodbye to in order to move forward in our life. Remember, oftentimes our big barrier for tomorrow is what's going on today. And so that doesn't mean just developing a few things and keeping things going in our life. It means actually letting things go. And so throughout this whole season, we've talked about different ways to prune our life, uh, some signs when we know it's time to end, uh, to even evaluate the people in our life because sometimes the end it stuff, most of the time, the end it stuff is attached to people in our lives. And so how do we deal with that? Well, one of the, towards the end of the book, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about that we there is grief in ending some, something, obviously. And so he says there's an importance to metabolize necessary endings. And this is what he means. It's important for us 
to have some sort of a ceremony, a way to mark the end of something. I mean, you think about this. Um, we, whenever someone passes away, uh, we have a funeral, a memorial service uh, to gather all the people that we can together to say pleasant words about that person and then, then to give one another well wishes knowing that the circle of our community has been broken. And so we have some sort of a ceremony in order uh, to begin to put the pieces together to move on. Um, you think about someone who is a widow or a widower and they have lost their spouse and they don't necessarily want to move on, uh, even if the opportunity is there until, and what, what we find in grief work is helping a widow or a widower uh, make peace with their spouse that's passed away in order to have a fresh start with a new person that God might be putting in their life. And so a ceremony oftentimes um, is required there. You think about like those all-time breakup movies, like, you know, it, it, the beginning of the movie, there's like this really cruddy relationship and somebody's really hanging on, you know, and the emotional attachment's huge and they have to have like this big outburst in order uh, to say, hey, it's over. Or a person has a retirement party and they get like a gift and there's like a roasting that happens in order to just talk about the parting of ways, right? So we have this mechanism. We, we seem, to, seem to need to know natively. We know it natively that we have to have some sort of a marker in the timeline of when something ends. And so it's important for us to have a ceremony so that we can move on. And this is something that I would recommend uh, for any of us when we make changes. Uh, if it's a dating relationship, it, to have a closure conversation that uh, definitely ends it where the, the clean break can happen. And there's not like this dot, dot, dot ellipsis, like, oh, something might be able to happen. No, if we really want to move on, like we really need to move on. Um, if we change jobs, um, that we stop wearing like the apparel uh, from the last job and say, no, it's time to move on. Uh, maybe you saw this in college. Somebody had a great high school football career and they just could not let it go. And so here they are in college and they're still talking about like their high school days. And there's nothing wrong with having nostalgia, uh, but there is like a, a burden that we carry if we don't let the past be the past. And so it's important for us to have some sort of a a ceremony, have some sort of a, a, a visual representation of an end in order for us to move on. And we actually see this in the scripture text. Probably my favorite example of this is in the book of 1 Kings. So in 1 Kings, the prominent prophetic figure is Elijah. And Elijah's got this great calling and he seems to be rather isolated and he has some success early in his prophetic career. God's work is happening through um, the things that he's doing in Israel. But then he gets scared and afraid of Queen Jezebel, who is the spouse of King Ahab, and she's threatening his life. And so he flees into the wilderness, and uh, he hides in pity, and God says, all right, if you're not going to go any further, like if you'd rather die, I need to replace you with people. And so he gives him a list of people, and one of those people is Elisha, who would follow after him in the prophetic office. Now, it was quite common in this day for the children of prophets to learn the office of prophet and they would secede their parents. Uh, so uh, this Elijah-Elisha connection is really interesting and it's extraordinary, kind of otherworldly at this time. And that comes 
uh, to the surface in 2 Kings chapter 2 when Elijah is taken into God's presence and Elijah, be, or sorry, Elisha starts his prophetic ministry. But when Elijah calls Elisha, there's just an interesting interchange that happens. And I want you to notice the metabolizing of an ending in Elisha's life. So let me read from chapter 19, verses 19 and following. It says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Pause here for a second. Imagine this. So imagine you're working in a field, you're plowing. It's really hot that day. And some strange individual walks up to you. He throws a cloak on you and then he keeps walking to where you have to like jump off the yoke of oxen and run after him. Like where was Elijah going to go, right? So Elisha ran after him. He caught up with him. And this is what he says. This is what Elisha says. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have, I, what have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Here's what's going on here. Twelve yoke of oxen wasn't the average equipment supply for the average farmer. Elisha came from means. He's a rich farmer. And um, this change of occupation would have been drastic. And Elisha knew it. The pain was going to be great for him and for all of his community. So he decided to make a demonstrative metabolizing of the ending of one life in order to pick up another. It seems strange, but he slaughtered all of his oxen. He took the yoke wood and he arranged it for a fire and he prepared this huge barbecue for all people to recognize this is our last time to celebrate and to feast together. Now, this seems a bit uh, impractical, right? I mean, the person coming up after Elijah could have certainly used the oxen, certainly could have used uh, the yokes that were used to plow the field, or they could have been sold at least to give money to his family. But this necessary loss and necessary expense was important for the metabolizing of an end. Elijah was able to burn up, in essence, his one life in order not to return back to it. He removed all the escape hatches he burned all the safety boats and he was going further in one direction come hell or high water this was going to be his next uh, his next phase of life notice that he left his um, his his experience of being affluent and with means and became a servant there are other times where a, a derogatory phrase is used against elisha that he would hold the water basin of his of his master Elijah. So Elisha went from a rich farmer to doing the job that young maidens would do in their culture. But he had to learn humility in order to learn his new way of life as a prophet. And so what can we conclude with this? It is important for us when we go to a new thing to really make it new and to celebrate and to honor, to acknowledge, and to even memorialize what we have experienced before but to know that we need to leave it all behind in order to embrace what is ahead. Uh, I've been studying different ways in which there's a pattern of formation uh, in different communities' lives. And in India, it is quite common for a person, a male, the head of the household, to go through three or four phases of life. The first phase 
is training and teaching where they where they primarily learn. The second phase is to earn and to have an occupation. But instead of going into retirement and relaxation, they come to a place where they leave their occupation and they go back into a time of training again, into a wilderness and to start over, which leads to the fourth phase, fourth phase which is that they could be a sage for other people because they've learned how to build, they've learned how to learn, and they've also learned the importance of loss and starting over. I think it's important for us that we move on. We need to move on. And uh, we don't have to be mean and demonstrative about it, but we do have to be clear that this is coming to an end so that something new can emerge. And so I hope that you would take that in consideration as you're thinking about what you would like to end and to move on. We're at the time of this recording, the time of this post, Getting close to the end of the year, it's natural for us to think about changes to make in 2021. And so maybe you and I, as we think about our plans of changes, we would think about having necessary endings and ending them completely, but memorialize them before we move on to the next thing. So thanks for hearing me out. All right, friends, we're talking about five missional habits. We talk about one every single episode, five different ways in which we can grow in our own faith and impact the world around us. It's modeled after a book called Surprise World by Michael Frost, and he is an Aussie, an Australian, and he um, has just learned how to be the church in a post-Christian world like Australia. And they found that these habits, everyday church-going, ordinary disciples of Jesus doing these five habits, have an impact in the world around them, and they grow in their faith. They keep it fresh, and it's always interesting whenever you do these five things. And so the acronym is BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. And we've kind of talked about one every episode. We've been doing this for the past seven episodes or so. So we're making our second lap here. So last time we talked about bless. So we're going to talk about E, eat. And the habit is to eat with three people a week or to get a coffee or a drink with them. Uh, one of those three needs to be someone outside the church. So definitely commune with those inside the church and then also try to make connections with people outside the church. Uh, I remember listening to a teaching by someone from England and they said they noticed they're now missionaries in America. They noticed how distinct that we do dinner parties uh, in England and in the United States. So in the United States, we tend to have like a potluck type thing, particularly um, if, you, you know, it's like there's not like a lot of kids around stuff, just adults getting together. Usually somebody comes with something like maybe the host has like meat, to, you know, for everybody. And then desserts and sides and appetizers and beverages are all kind of collectively brought together by the rest of the crowd. Um you know, it's a covered dish. Is that what it's called? Or a potluck, whatever. Um, we learn this in church, and that's some of the best moments in church is when we have, like, a big church potluck, right? Um, but in England, it's different. Whenever you host a dinner party, it's kind of understood that you're going to bring it, that you're going to do it all yourself as the host. So not only are you going to clean your house, but you're going to repair all the food and then host and serve and then clean up everything after your guests leave. Uh, so there's even like entertainment that you do. Uh, you have to pick the music and all that stuff, right? And so if you're invited to a dinner party, it's quite the gift because you know that this person wants to serve from A to Z, they will do all the accommodations, right? And if you decide to host people, um, you're, you're choosing to serve them. And so I thought this would be a cool way 
to exercise this habit of eating is to do things like the Brits do. So I'm going to encourage us to eat with somebody, but to make all the preparations ourselves. And this is what's going to happen. Your gift of hospitality is going to soar, not just because of the amount of work, but because you're going to think about, okay, what day and time and what background music might please this person? And I wonder what type of food they like. And you're going to do some like investigation about this person's preferences and taste, right? And you're probably going to want to have them share their story and you're not going to want to like jump in and share your story, but like you're hosting them in your home, right? And so you want to like get to know them and stuff. So you really begin to make them the focal point of the evening. And not only do you bless them with food and with hospitality, but you also honor their existence and you pull them from the background and you love them. You hold them in your care and you cause them to be the the subject matter of the evening. And I think what a great gift that is um, if we could do that for somebody. And so you might have somebody in mind. Uh, you might want to take a risk and say, you know, there's a new person at work. I haven't had a chance to get to know them yet. And so everything's okay. We can like have them over. And uh, I just want to make, you know, my favorite famous like dry rub ribs or whatever. I mean, and I want them just to share their story and I, I want to like get to know them and, and to p- develop some bridges of connection, connection points with them. And who knows, God may open up a door of opportunity to share about the reason for the faith that I have. And so anyways, so excel in the grace of eating together, but do so by accommodating another person in the days and weeks ahead. So think that over and see how God uses it to build his kingdom. So thanks for hearing me out. Hey, real quick before the end of the episode, I just want to give you a heads up about a new group study opportunity that we're going to have in the Young Adult Ministry. In the new year, we're going to read this book, Following King Jesus, by Scott McKnight and Becky Castle Miller. And it's a 24-lesson workbook that just takes us through the basics of who Jesus was, what his message was, and how we can live for him today. I think it's going to be a great study to do together. We usually have been meeting on Thursday nights, uh, but that may be up for negotiation in the new year. But just stay tuned to Facebook or to email or to future podcasts. Some more information will be available. But just so you know, in the new year, we're going to start, there will be a new opportunity for you to join the Young Adult Study Group. And uh, the book, if you want to get one for yourself, they're about like 12 to $15 on Amazon. Inevitably, I'll probably get an order together so you can just buy one from the church and replenish our funds. But uh, we'd be eager to have you and your friends. If you're looking for a new study in the new year, this would be a good way to start the year. So thanks for hearing me out. Hey, before we go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating so that more people can be drawn to the podcast. We also have a Eastminster Young Adults Facebook page. If you'd like to be a part of that, please look for it and send a request so we can add you to the closed group so you can stay up to date on all the things that are going on in young adult life. Thanks. We'll see you next time.